You got it. I, I went yeah. faster with the go. Uh, I, I, I saw that you were, you were being very <laughs> odd there, like not spacing out your numbers right. It, it, doing a countdown doesn't help if your countdown isn't consistent. Well, it's like I, a. It's, I like it's a to keep you on edge. So. I was I was definitely on edge. So <laughs> edging the podcast. I don't know if that's what edging means. That's um, that's not what edging means. Uh, but we're not going to get into that because we're not that kind of show. No, no. We're never that <laughs> um, kind of show. The kind of show we are is a video game show, obviously, because you want to talk to me about Pokemon Snap. Well, um, those lazy folks over at the Daydream cast took the week off, so we're uh, monopolizing all the video game chat within uh, our show this week. Uh, we're we're going to beat them. I know Pavlos is going to talk about Pokemon Snap now that they finally got it in uh, once they come around next week with their show uh but we're gonna beat them to it because we've been playing as well and i think we're both enjoying it greatly can i say that um yeah enjoying it i would say um you're uh, oh, photo- greatly your photojournalist <laughs> for maybe not greatly maybe uh enjoying it the right amount i think i think enjoying it for what it is which is that i've been waiting this many years for a pokemon snap and 20 years two decades 20, yep. 20 years and just that format is still intriguing to me just the idea of being a photojournalist at pokemon world and the kind of on rails relaxation of it all is a uh, really soothing like that gameplay loop is nice i'll i'll, I'll say this is, and i said this to my friend who i've been playing snap with um that that the pokemon snap games now that all two of them now um to me capture the kind of like imaginative and lived in quality of a Pokemon world that really spurred my imagination as a kid more than any other spinoff game more than even like the main games like this idea of a world inhabited by by these creatures you know who exist in real environments the the snap universe captures that better than anything else and and that's why it's such a fun series to me it gives you a contextual relationship to how the Pokemon exist within a world that none of the other games really do. I mean, they kind of like spring up at you in the grass and other games are, it feels like they're probably not actually of their environment, but in Snap, it's right. like a, you're on a safari and you get to go experience them in the nature. Uh, so for like Ezra, it's like the first game she could really, you know, get her hands on with consoles and wrap her mind around because she's a photo taking machine. We got her a little digital camera and she clears all thousand photos a week. So for her, she's just snapping everything and, and there's joy in it. And she's beating some of my pictures too. <laughs> um, amusingly, cause well, the real premise of like Pokemon step is you have to have them like centered in the middle and you have to have them big enough for the frame. And then the rest is all like bonus points. So. Which as we all know is the only way to art. Yeah. Uh, everything has to be in the center. Otherwise it's a garbage <laughs> photo there. You can't color outside the lines. There's, um, Rule of thirds is a made-up artistic principle. It's only the rule of center I learned in art class that, yep. that matters. Yeah. Uh, I have three favorite photos that I've taken. None of them are centered or worth the most points. <laughs> and, and they're like my three that I've taken in the game. Those look artistic and kind of cool and something I'd want outside the game. So I, I am enjoying it, and I, I'm enjoying the process and uh, kind of the repetition and the relaxed cycle, too. I feel like games are in such a hurry right now to like uh, speed me down a path that to kind of hang out and take pictures uh, that feels like my speed right now it's it's a really nice game very easy to to get into uh obviously like like no stakes or anything and i think most importantly i think it's a very beautifully done game 
Um, obviously, the Pokemon series is best when it's outsourced to uh, other developers because uh, Game Freak is, you know, operating on minimum effort right now. They are, yeah. They become an iterative studio, so uh, they they try to please a very very large fan base, and, and they're trying to please all those people. So uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say they're minimal though. Like the I guess the expansion to the last game is really good. Uh, the last game was good. They just haven't been at that like all time greatness that they had in the nineties. Yeah, well, I I feel like the series, the main series overall, has been in a sharp decline for a little bit here i I think i think it's indicative as well as you see in snap here how many of the latest generation (laughs) of pokemon did you see playing the game uh there's probably less than 10 i wouldn't know but i wouldn't know but not not many that i encountered in the new game and i was like oh those are new guys they're all familiar to me mostly yeah which is first three ish i'd say is there's a high representation in the second generation, which is very nice. Uh, yeah. Because it's secretly the best one. Well, and, and you have Pokemon Snap already covering the first gen. So this, yeah, you kind of want to go second gen here. Just a little more than 200 Pokemon in this one, which is, is not... It? Yeah, yeah. Oh. I, I looked it up, uh, which doesn't seem like a whole lot uh, considering like the, you know, what, like 1,500 or something that, that and are you, currently... You only, you only need four shots each, really. I mean, you could keep refining them, but... Yeah. So 200 times four is basically... So it doesn't seem that. To, like that much, but I think it's an interesting because, well, you know, first of all, you've got a greater spectrum of Pokemon to pick from, and that's one of the benefits of waiting 20 years is that there's, right. what, like six, you know, iterations of Pokemon in between the first game and this one now. Uh, and and so there's a, a wide pool now to pull from to you know populate the environments with, and that's really nice to see. Even if you're only familiar with like the first one or two or even three generations, there's plenty of Pokemon to to see and recognize, and that's always exciting. And then there's lots of new ones that might capture your imagination as well along the way. Maybe not ones that have become you know uh, icons of the series, you know. Uh, over time but you know really stand out and, and stay true to the uh the spirit of the the design and you know uh, aspects of pokemon that we all love and so i like seeing all of them pop up um you know all the different you know great varieties especially with all the the kind of environments and things and the night cycle i think also helps to kind of like double the amount of exposure and variety that you get uh that obviously the first game did not have the night cycle is good for using your scan mechanic and making a point of that being like a usable way. It's good at tutorializing, like the, the way it leads you through levels from, you know, like scanning to the pester balls to the apples, like the levels are laid out in a certain way as you get these things that kind of mechanically express those ideas and invite you to do them. So like the jungle at night, you have to scan or you can't really see where, where those guys are, where they're hiding. So. I'm glad, by the way, that you called them pester balls and not like Lumina orbs or, or whatever they're actually called, because oh, yeah. they they're just pester balls. There's pester balls and there's apples. And yeah, I think they I'm, change I'm them a few it, times. <laughs> I'm not calling it fluff fruit or whatever it is. These are yeah. <laughs> uh, my favorite part of the game. My theory that uh, the professor here has uh, gone through these routes and he's uh, cut the voice boxes of the Pokemon. They they can no longer talk. <laughs> They've uh, a little bit of Pokemon cruelty because uh, they've removed their voice boxes. They no longer cry out. They can only be um, used for our voyeuristic pleasures. They, they can no longer talk. They, they're only there as objects of our uh, photographic affections. 
since you bring it up, I don't recall any any Pokemon making like really like loud noises or anything like that. I I feel like there's got to be some that make some kind of sounds. I can think of at least a, a couple where or something happens, but no no signature call stands out in my memory of it. So like I don't even remember Pikachu right. doing the the thing. You know, Pikachu just does the thing. Um, the Pika. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's an accurate impression. It is. I think it is. It's probably your first on the show. And um, uh, um, Yeah, but I, I can't recall specifically. But uh, it's not like a huge issue for me personally. Uh, no, it's not game-breaking for me. Uh, it, it could be annoying. There are so many Pokemon. You see, like you say, the same 200. Yeah. Uh, that repetition of cries could be a little bit of... Maybe if I hit him with a pester ball, give me a little... Ah, Pika! Yeah, yeah. You just got to start throwing stuff at them. If yeah. you haven't been doing that, then you're missing out on half the game. <laughs> really are. Uh, there are some rea- fun reactions. Like you throw it at the puffer fish and it like, you know... Yeah, yeah, and he buff, buffs up. Like a balloon. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. That's good stuff. I'm enjoying it. Ezra's enjoying it even more, which is great I'm, for I'm, me. I'm glad to hear that. I think it's a, a, a wonderful game. Another wonderful expansion of the Pokemon series. Um... I did want to ask, how do you feel about the the boss levels so far? I don't I don't like them that much. Yeah, <laughs> the, no. the Lumina levels. I, you, it's kind of like a one track and like the one underwater. <laughs> you spend so long doing the school of fish and yeah, the, the wishy washies. I like wishy washy by the way I, as a Pokemon. I do. It's just it's a long time just floating underwater waiting for the Illumina bit. That's yeah. They're they're a little tedious because and and the only pictures that count when you go through the first time are when you've you know lit them up with the lumina orbs right you can't submit any that aren't where it's like super shiny and has weird patterns on it and, and it could be, you might be waiting for that one moment yeah it run. could be tricky and what sucks is that those usually aren't the good pictures like you no. that's the one you caught in like a flurry of like presses and it's like oh it looks like shit but you know it counts <laughs> so i guess i'll submit this one uh but yeah the, the levels themselves they feel like very long because you're just going through this track waiting for the pokemon to pop up you know for the right opportunity and it's just one the first time you go through more pokemon pop up if you go through the course again but it's not like the rest of the courses where you have a bunch there's one later on that i think is is really nice that i like um and it's because it has multiple of the illumina pokemon so more opportunities okay i'm not to there yet capture yeah i'm not, I'm not going to spoil which it is sure. or, or whatnot but uh and i think that one's actually very well done and which pokemon they choose for the illuminas throughout i think are are pretty cool but, but like as, as we're one. actually playing them it's yeah it's not as fun that first one you just have like an ev sitting on the guy bopping up and down then a guy walking through a forest and he eats a berry and then you get to the end after like four minutes not very exciting Uh, Mm -hmm. but that's that's probably like the biggest complaint i would have with the game is that the boss levels are like not not as rewarding as the rest of the game they they should feel like climactic like you like you achieve something and now you get reward with a lot of photo opportunities for me I think it, it would be great if those were like filling really a lot of my Pokedex and getting a lot of things that I've really waited for, but they're all Pokemon I don't know so far too. Like these boss levels. I, I don't know who the first guy even is. He's like a, a fake Venusaur. So. Oh, you don't know Meganium? Meganium's the grass starter of the, the second gen of the Johto region. Who's Magoo? <laughs> but I like Pokemon Snap. I, I like the zoom in a lot. Um, I, I'm always zoomed in. How about you? Um, 
Zooming is a good tactic, but sometimes you're a little close to Pokemon and you need to yeah. zoom out. Because if you zoom in too far, then uh, your the Pokemon just takes up the entire frame and it doesn't count for as many that, points. That's what I want. And I want that big Pokemon I, I, I belly. Like, uh, I like to to photograph a little more like I'm in a John Ford movie. So, you know, minimal close-ups, <laughs> yeah. like a lot of the wide frames. You're, all of yours are like Pikachu coming through a doorway. Um, it's mostly just landscape shots, actually. I'm not even shooting Pokemon. I just, I'm trying to get that horizon line at, at the right spot. Trying to get the monument desert out there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, well, enough of Pokemon. Um Welcome to the Twin Geek Cast, uh, 118th edition, and I'm Calvin, this is David. Uh, David A-Punch, uh, actually. Yeah, David A-Punch. Uh, we're longtime brothers, uh, twins, which is the name of the site, the it's, Twin Geek. It's, it's interesting that we have different last names, though. Uh, yeah. This paperwork got screwed up when we came out of the hospital, and also uh, I was a few years uh after you, I hung out in the womb for a little while more. Which is interesting for twins. Usually they're not a few years after each other. Yeah, they usually come at the same time, like maybe like a 24-hour interval or so at most. Uh, I decided to, to cook a little bit more in the oven. You um, stayed there the whole time, by the way. You were ready for delivery. Yeah, no, I was, I was ready, but uh, we, we kind of chatted about it before uh, you took your departure and you said you were going to stake things out there a little bit. <laughs> I was a little more apprehensive about what was on the other side, so... Um, I appreciate that you, you know, and you kind of uh, let me know a little while later a couple years uh, once you kind of got your senses and acclimated to things uh, you pass word along down um, down the tube there and I decided to come peek on out as well and and see well, and then it was weird because uh, we didn't see each other for like another 23 years or something like that it's very strange yeah uh, we ended up meeting at uh some bar after uh, reconnecting on the internet, despite, mm. you know, being twins and all. It's, it's kind of a weird growing up experience, but yeah, <laughs> that's that's how how we know each other. Which is all just to say that our friend had a startling revelation that we, that we may be twins by listening to our show. Yeah, yeah I don't know how he got that impression, <laughs> but... Uh, I think it's the name of the site. I Even some of our folks that have uh, worked there for a while have said... Uh, is this a play on the Twin Peaks? And I, no, no, no this is about twins. It's and... it's not. It's it's actually not. It's a coincidence. Literally, yeah. the bar we met was called Twin Peaks. Twin and, Peaks. Uh, that's right. It was it's still it was a, a coincidence, total coincidence. Then. Yeah, it was yeah. a total coincidence. We definitely didn't seek it out because it was named that. I mean, you haven't even seen Twin Peaks, so what would yeah, be like that would be very website? weird, wouldn't yeah. that be? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense that the guy you know would co-host a show based on you know the name of a show that he's never watched right and do 118 episodes without even seeking out the show that it's obviously not named after that so. yeah that would, that would be really asinine almost the big 120 and you know what they say about 120 uh it's your goal weight big feet <laughs> yeah it's uh 120 coming up i'm still surprised we made it past 100 honestly yeah <laughs> I think we get good around 90 because it's like the Calvin Dare episode that's bullet in the head, I think, is around mm. like the part where I'm like, oh, OK, we have a good show and oh, we're doing something here. It's it's somewhere up there way longer than any show really <laughs> should take to get yeah. good. If we're being honest, if we were on network, we would have been canceled in the, you know, tens or the fives. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm 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 very reluctant to 
like like and that's why I don't really push and recommend our show to anyone because I'm like I have oh. no idea where to tell them to go. I recommend <laughs> our show to everyone. I, I you know listen to our show. I we, I, I, we I tell people movies. too, but I just don't I don't give them a good indication of <laughs> where to start. Where they should start because I, yeah. I, I I honestly have no idea where. Well, we hopefully, get, hopefully where we get bearable even. <laughs> I'd like to think every episode is someone's first episode that uh, if anyone's coming to a show, they'll listen to something because it's premiered and got their attention. Right. Like, yeah. I doubt someone's just like searching our show out of random and willing to start in the middle. I think you'd start it, you know, right now. I, I, I would hope so. I hope to God, nobody starts at the beginning. I really hope so. that that yeah. would just be awful. <laughs> it's really rough guys. At least go 20 or 30 in. I, I wouldn't, which is a shame. I think eventually we have to go back and re-record some of those early ones no. because because there's good discussions to be had on films like Network well, and, and The Other Side of the Wind and stuff that like we could do a better job of now. I don't think there's any problem with us saying like we're going to do a part two Network because that's a, a great movie that we love and want to do more of. I, sure. I think we could do that. Yeah, um, maybe, but that's like a further down the road thing like we've we've technically covered it but i i don't know that i'd point anyone there for my thoughts on <laughs> network now no um you know where i would point them for my thoughts on um micro budget independent films is this episode of the twin geek cast and in fact the next sentence that i'm about to say after i finish this one um i watch local legends <laughs> and uh, <laughs> really fun independent movie micro budget it's just a guy making movies he wrote about twenty thousand songs over his life um he's just highly productive and creative because he wants to be it's about creativity for its own sake and kind of anti-comedy uh mashup of uh comedy and low budget filmmaking like literally commenting on itself in like a lynchian way like it pulls back breaks fourth wall um he narrates about a book that he found telling him not to narrate films um he plays a businessman version of himself who advises him to give his phone number out in the middle of the songs that he's recording. So he's recorded like 15, 20 songs with his phone number in it, but then he puts it in the movie. So I start texting the guy. Um, I thought it should be a good idea for me to text the director while I'm watching his meta film. Uh, so we've had a text conversation going here. Um, I think this is, this is very interesting because it's not like this was like a recent thing. Local legends came out in 2013 yeah. <laughs> so the movie is coming close to like 10 years old at this point and you just you whip the phone number out of here and <laughs> thank god the guy has the same number i know uh, so absolutely and you confirm that it's him right it's not like some some josher on the other end who just decided to like take up the conversation and impersonate whoever you think it is right <laughs> well i certainly hope so um uh, yeah he just thanked me for my thoughts on the movie and uh, inform me that he's still making a couple movies the next uh, year. Um, let's see, he had uh, Slingshot Cops was his last one in 2016. So there were there was every odd that he'd just be done with this guy thing and kind of trying to move on from those conversations. But but it seems that he's still active because uh, I logged it on the letterbox last night. I woke up this morning. He sent me a text thanking me for logging the movie. I hadn't indicated who I was at all, um, but. Um, I think because only 350 people watched this movie over the last, you know, decade, I think it's clear who it was. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, he, he must have been very invested in your conversation because he would have had to seek you out, like seek yeah. out that, that letterbox review. He must have like looked it up and, and figured out like, okay, I wonder if he's on letterbox. Like good thing you are on letterbox, right? <laughs> I think I did say I was determined to get 
this movie into more people's hands. I know we do like an internal roulette. I could recommend it to them, but um, I, I could find a lot of ways to get this movie out to people. And I'm very excited about it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting interaction that I think only you <laughs> would, would go forward with the, the same man who texted his number neighbor last year to conduct a week long conversation on Tiger King. <laughs> we we uh, shared memes with each other for a whole week. So I think this is right in my wheelhouse, just this conversation, not especially this movie. But it sure made me like the movie a lot more. And I like this guy. Uh, he uh, talks to a, a professional athlete who lives nearby, who he casts as the bad guy in all his films. Um, every time he greets him, he calls him the um, the marvelous Matt Farley. I, I like that uh, uh, he greets him as the marvelous Matt Farley. Um, and he works at like an old folks home, but they don't let him film there. So uh, he kind of just provides commentary on his life, but like a manufactured version. That's very anti-comedy and anti-interest, but I think I could get a lot of people that are like-minded like me. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, kind of drab comedy and... Um, That's very much your form of comedy. Like, yeah. the, it sounds like everything just kind of, like, appealed directly to you with, with, with this thing, so... <laughs> Sometimes everything just slides right into place, and I, I'm very grateful that he responded to the text. I think it's made my whole week here that, uh, just because this is something I really would do anyway, and... Uh, I, it just all worked out. I, I'd really recommend it. It's called Local Legends, a 2013 movie. You could rent it on Amazon or something. Check it out and uh, make sure to text the guys well while you're watching everyone out there. Flood his inbox. <laughs> well, um, he invites his viewers to text him about the songs they sing so he can make songs about them. Um, so he puts his phone number in a lot of songs so people can reach him, but but nobody knows who he is. So, so it's kind of like an uphill battle in an internal battle with you know like a obscurity itself on the internet like i think it's fascinating to like divulge that much information in a film and you know not expect so many results because every film festival has turned all his work down and uh, i just think like that dogged determination is really inspiring for me like not to give up after you hear a thousand no's and nobody's paid for your movies like to keep going anyway and make these because you want to create stuff like you want to make dumb horror movies with your friends they don't get the right response from any audience and i think that's really great just the perseverance so, there so would you advocate for other creatives out there to sneak their phone numbers into their works no <laughs> no uh, just uh just matt yeah <laughs> i don't think anyone else should be doing that Okay, it's it's good to know because I was gonna slide it in here to our to our outro, but uh, if you don't think it's a good idea, uh, I'll give his number then. Okay, yeah, I'll <laughs> hand that over to you. You can just set, we could just end the show with his number for the next few weeks. <laughs> uh, we just need to get him to write a song about us. Um, can we? That's... Can we? Uh, I'll, I'll replace <laughs> our intro song with that. I'm cool with that. We could really try, Matt. But, uh... Matt, if you're listening. You know, whatever. And I'm sure you are. Yeah, (laughs) I'm sure. Conversations. Uh, uh, We we will put it in the show if you decide to write us a song about us. Yeah, Uh, weekly. uh, We'd put it in the show every week. So if you want to include your phone number in that song, that's a lot of people that could call you. Yeah, we do that too. We have an audience of more than twelve. Yeah, definitely (laughs) more than twelve. Probably a hundred a week, beyond including all platforms, right? But that inspires me because maybe more. Look at what know. we're doing, right? Yeah. Like we're not always getting the most hits, but we're having so much fun creating something. I feel so, that spirit. Here's what I'll say: I haven't checked the numbers in a while, so it could be 
way more like we're talking into the tens of thousands who knows i literally have no idea it's it's schrodinger's viewer no count you know mm. could be anything so think think about all the the exposure you could have there it's certainly in the tens um, <laughs> tens every week so more than 10 less than a million we'll say it's somewhere in that range it absolutely is consistently i'd say uh, consistently yeah. it's between 10 and a million <laughs> every week we've managed those numbers which is something to be proud of I, I should certainly say so. <laughs> did you watch uh, this uh, Green Knight trailer? I did. Uh, I watched it uh, today. Everyone's been uh, hooting and hollering for it for, it's got to be a couple years now. Big anticipation for this. Uh, David Lowry's uh, next film follow-up from uh, The Old, Old Man, Man and the, the Gun. Gun. Yeah. Did you ever see that? No. No. no I should have, though. Uh, I probably should still. Maybe, maybe you can convince me around the time the Green Knight comes around. Yeah, I think that's right in your wheelhouse. I didn't like a ghost story at all. I, I felt like that's one of those like false poetry dichotomies on film where uh, I think the audience is creating a lot more than is there. But I think it showed such sound technique that, and I think that's what people responded to. And by the time I got to A Man in the Gun, um, well, I felt very passionate about it. I felt like I was getting the real thing. Um I wrote that piece about going to see Man in the Gun in the theater and the projection broke. Uh, mm -hmm. So we all had to go to uh, night school with <laughs> Tiffany <laughs> Haddish. So basically I followed the old people from the Man in the Gun out of the theater. I followed them to the uh, to the booth, the, um, the help desk, and they all ordered tickets to night school. I'm like, well, I'm not going to not go with them to night school because they're like 80, 90 years old. I want to see their reactions. Uh, I came here for a movie, damn it. Uh, so I have a whole piece on the website about Man and the Gun, plus a review for it, a glowing review. I love that movie too. Uh, I did eventually get to see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great piece and always one of those kind of <laughs> funny things that can happen at the, at the movie theater, unique experience. I can't um, wait because now we're back at the movies officially this week. I'm back. Uh, so yeah. I'll be able to write more experiential pieces. But uh, I think uh, maybe around the time of Green Knight, I might have enough experiences to come up with something. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Certainly how that goes. I think it's the first movie I'm seeing a trailer for on the docket that I'm that I'm really excited for coming yeah. up. Uh, I, I've been kind of interested in the buzz more than the film itself, but seeing the trailer <laughs> really got me onto the, the, the track with it here. I don't think it's a great trailer itself like you know it doesn't say enough about the movie uh in in many ways but it's it exposes you to enough of the actual like footage and you know the setting and you know the kind of uh feeling of the film itself that i think it's going to effectively work for for getting audiences and seats and i'm very uh interested by uh taking the the arthurian story here and and making it really work um hopefully because it so. hasn't for a while i mean like i, I think mean, directors e have always ever? been taking stabs yeah is there Ar any good arthurian <laughs> films that aren't monty python spoofs i think there's proof though that we've been hungry to create those stories i mean you see like ridley scott and everyone making their terrible arthurian movies and it's like <laughs> well shit i i think people want to tell this story and few of them are very good. I think basing it on the Green Knight and like this old legend of like this guy going and like finding redemption, fighting this guy and uh, getting this destiny, very Lord of the Ringy stuff. I think uh, more uh, stuff that might work in cinema, like a story with the scope and and large creatures already installed. And I, I feel like there's there's a lot here in this trailer that's appealing to me. 
I'm I'm very interested in seeing a blockbuster fantasy film that isn't some of the regurgitated garbage we've been seeing for a while now. Um, Lord of the Rings really broke it. I think I I think it broke like the creative spirit of making weathers in a different way. Well, just in general, like blockbusters for a while, I think have been very like inept. Stagnant, I guess yeah, yeah stagnant. Stagnant is probably a, a better word because uh, I don't like hate you know marvel yeah. movies as much as other people they're, i don't either i think i like them i mean i i'm not a you know i don't want to talk about them but yeah i'm it's it's just it's very exhausting and like you feel like originality has just been sucked from mainstream yeah. hollywood entirely even within the films that i like from from those uh, i should even preface it with it i like going with my friends and seeing marvel movies i i don't care about the actual movies I mean, yeah, I, I think there's they're worth discussing, and I think yeah. it's an interesting like phase of blockbuster history. But the fact that they've usurped it entirely, and that it's the only thing that exists right now, is very boring. Oh yeah. And so to see just like 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 a single work, like just take this this old story, adapt it, you know, to with you know modern sensibilities modern takes but still keeping you know keeping it authentic and making it like a like a one-off deal don't even worry about setting up you know other things or spinning off a whole new branch of you know style of uh films to just make a good movie that appeals to a mainstream audience and hopefully we'll get we'll inject some creativity back into you know uh the the work here i'm like and obviously i'm not trying to hold Green Knight to those expectations, hoping that it's going to kickstart a revolution of no. <laughs> originality in Hollywood. Cause hey, I, I mean, I do hope for some things. I want the best movie of the summer to be like this mythical, you know, Arthurian quest that, you know, we just something, just give me anything to hold on to this summer. Um, that, that's really what I want. Yeah. Just, just something a little different to change the cultural conversation, you know, because it's been, you know, so, so boring for so long. <laughs> yes. I think, so predictable. <laughs> At least the mainstream, the mainstream's been really tiresome the last, you know, as long as we've been doing this, it's been the same way. Yeah. When, when was the last time the fit was like a, a film was like a sensational hit that you could also claim was a, a cinematic classic, you know? I think uh, Knives Out seems to be like a popular choice. Yeah, I bet other people would argue with that, though. Like, I, it's it's definitely well, probably not an argue unassailable. With anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody I, likes every movie, especially modern movies. We have so much discourse now. There's yeah. no way anyone likes every movie. Sure. Um, it, it is a conversation. I think there's definitely kind of uh, an issue with, you know, like like the prevalence and uh, of, of modern popcorn cinema. But you could also make that argument about any other time, which is yeah. fair. But I, I, I would argue as well that it's more of a prevalent issue now you know, unique films are having a harder time breaking through and making an impact than they were 30 years ago, even, let's say. Maybe Mission Impossible, the last one everyone seems to like. Uh, even, uh, even then, it's just, you know, you're you're trading off of a, a formula and a, yeah. you know, a tested appeal. Like, give me, give me something that, you know, is a little more risky, you know, a little more original, something that, again, even, even something like this, which is, technically based on an existing property 
like, all right, that's not the most original thing, but God damn it. It's, you know, <laughs> it hasn't been tried in a while and right. uh, it's, it's never it's been tried this take. way. Right. Like the way it's visualized, it looks new. Um, I, I mean, the aesthetic looks good and new and I trust David Lowry, even, even if I got like a ghost story result, I'd, I'd feel okay. Uh, at did, least did you I, see Pete's right. dragon as well? I know yeah. that's like, that's like the one Disney live action adaptation <laughs> that was like universally positive, And then everyone forgot about it. What about a Maleficent? You, are you into that leather, um, that, <laughs> that black leather? Feels creepy to even talk about Maleficent. Yeah. I wonder if they'll, they'll ever get that wicked movie off the ground. <laughs> no. <wants> it. <laughs> they want it bad. I don't even think a Green Knight has that potential to be, well, you know, it's not going to be close to Knives Out or something um, as far as like the take, the box we'll, office. We'll see. It's got the A24 label, so it's already yeah. got the film bros backing it. What's the most successful A24 movie? <laughs> um, maybe like M- Moonlight? Maybe. That one's A24, right? My, my memory so. shaky. I think it is. It won Best Picture, so that, that must be yes. We know Under the Skin's the best one. Um, I guess. I don't know. I like Swiss Army Man a lot. Swiss Army Man is, is my I jam. Yeah. Where, where I, I guess Swiss Army Man cast? I guess that's probably the most successful one. Uh, financially. Is it? Yeah. Ah, was it like a financial hit? I don't know. I feel I'm like sure. I was the only the only person in theaters who saw it. Like when I walked out of theaters, people definitely didn't like it. I'm sure <laughs> it, it made so as much as um, Doctor Strange. I'm sure it's... I'm just making shit up. I, I don't know. You know, Doctor Strange Love? Yeah. Um, speaking of Doctor Strange Love, uh, I saw a new film called Profile. Profile. Nobody's might... actually a doctor in it. Is, is, does that have anything to do with Kubrick? No. Uh, P- Peter Sellers? Mm, no. Cold War? They're is it a com- to, uh... comedy? Is it a comedy? No. satire it's not no no it's a like very much like we're doing now it's a, a zoom chat oh, oh another one of these even i'm getting tired yeah. of hearing about them <laughs> well this guy has been trying to pioneer this green life thing for a while um this movie is made in 2018 so uh it's an old movie a very old movie you could say one of the Hardly. oldest movies a- ancient even it's yeah. an artifact that long ago 2018 um and it's from the guy who produced uh, Unfriended. So he was on like the vanguard of getting the screen life thing started where he only put like a million into the budget and made like 65 million back. And then uh, Searching did it and made like 10 million more off less than a million. Um, so these are hugely bankable genres. He has a five picture deal with uh, Universal to make more of these screen life movies. So we might have to get used to it for a while, man. Um this one's about a French journalist uh, or an English journalist, I believe. It's based on a French journalist who uh, contacts an ISIS recruiter. And she's on the screen with him pretending to be recruited to ISIS while forming her story. Um, there's a lot of anxiety with just how she uses her computer and how she arranges things. Um, uh, the premise of screen life is like we don't lie to our screens. Like uh, even when we're lying, we're doing it honestly, like through our own intention. The way we interact with the computer is what we want to happen. Um, So that's kind of like the premise of all his films and his whole push for this genre. Um, I don't think it works. I think it's really hard to capture a long period of time in screen life. Like over a month, I think it's really hard to, 
you know, if you're just stuck on a computer screen and you're like getting dates off file names and screen information, it's really hard to plot a movie and feel like you're chronologically, you know, really chronicling her story properly. Uh, it's based on a true story. It gets really tense though. Um, I think the relationship between the characters is somewhat interesting. Um, she really falls in love with him and kind of gets off from her boyfriend and uh, she almost really goes through with the ISIS thing, it feels like. Uh, so it leads in that direction in some interesting ways. Uh, very tense movie. I don't think it's worth seeking out particularly. I mean, if you want more screen life examples, if you want to make movies like that, maybe look into it. I'd like to, I'd like to hear from someone who enjoys this genre to understand the appeal. <laughs> Ew, it was like, I'd like to know. I honestly, I'd like to know. Is there uh, someone that I, will watch anything like me, I guess, but yeah, shit. Uh, we we need a proper name for these movies too. I'm surprised they don't have like a an screen official life. label yet. Is, it, is screen life? Is that's that what the... he's trying to push. I think that's what the director's going for. But what do you think of screen life? Is that a good name? Uh, I don't think so because I don't think it it like covers the <laughs> entire spectrum. Like to me, it, it sounds like it embodies more like a, like a regular existence on the internet and not like the particular like style of like capturing like activity through a screen and the various interactions of that like but I, I don't have a better alternative necessarily so yeah um i'm just mm. i think we should call them canceled and stop making them <laughs> no i think it's okay though i love searching um that's yeah i've, I've been meaning to watch that one still because that was like the, like the first i i feel like i like john cho so yeah that's that's kind of a big appeal to me and very likable but yeah uh it's it's just a gimmick. It's it's a yeah, gimmick. It it's like it's the modern 3D. Well, is it a gimmick though? Like if it if it's been shot, well, it wasn't shot during quarantine, so I can't say it's not a gimmick, right? It was shot way before, because it premiered at Berlinale in 2018 and won the Audience Award. So, I mean, it, that's a long time ago in Berlin. I mean, it's been out there. Well, it's like it's all part of like the the advertising appeal of it. It's like in the in the same vein, I would kind of put with like film shot on an iphone which <laughs> yeah. is its own genre which i things. like more i think i i think i prefer soderberghian well films because on phone. the limitations aren't as severe like yeah. it's just a, an iphone is a recording device they still yeah. use lots of other equipment to to enhance that and you wouldn't necessarily know it was shot on an iphone unless they straight up told you that which they do incessantly <laughs> <laughs> they do a, a director as good as Soderbergh hasn't done one of these either, I should say. So yeah. maybe once a great director does, I don't think they will I'm, though. I don't I'm surprised he didn't shoot the Oscars on an iPhone, by the way. I really wanted him to. I, I thought that would have been the best. Like maybe they didn't want it on TV. Maybe like the television NBC needs standards. I, I would I have guess liked it. They, they, they barred Zoom calls, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I think we should too. I might stop covering these after a while, by the way. Um, if these well, keep coming in, well, we, well, we should we should point out the hypocrisy of us complaining about Zoom call movies <laughs> while we discuss it through a Zoom call here. And after us saying there are no new ideas, and then the second we get one, we're like, why are we even discussing it? It's well, it's not a new idea anymore. This idea was done like unfriended. Yeah. yeah, it's like on Skype first or whatever. So maybe it's not new. Maybe someone will find something like searching to do again, but I think that's the only movie that in language lessons I liked a bit. But yeah, I don't know. Need a new spin or or something. Maybe have someone like 
literally like inside the computer and they have to navigate the web by like okay. wa walking around on a 2d surface you see them crawling up like the the google search results or something to try and find it i don't know like an I'm animation just, i'm just like spitballing the... dumb ideas <laughs> and uh, anything to to break the you know the monotony here um what I like about it is anyone could really probably make a screen life movie if they had Zoom and, you know. Oh, anyone can make an iPhone movie too. We keep yeah. saying that, but, you know, that, that doesn't mean people should. You should, should. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't, generally. Uh, start, start with your script. Get a good script first, and then we'll see if you can make it on a tiny-ass budget. But I'll have a review for that. Uh, as long as you get in, in and edit that, by the way. I, I, I might need an edit today. <laughs> I'll do it today. When's it going to okay. go up? Tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'll do it. A few All days right. ago by the All time. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll edit your work. I'll do my job. Okay. <laughs> I got it. you got to call me out on the podcast. By the way, David, will you will you finish your work and stop playing uh, Rainy Boys? Yeah. <laughs> Look, my life doesn't revolve around your work. All right, <laughs> does it revolve around rainy boys now? Is that what it you're does. telling me? It does. It does now. Imagine that separated uh, from the womb for 10 years until you're born and now it's separated by rainy boys. <laughs> I, I told myself I wasn't going to get back into video games, but here I am and I'm talking about Pokemon <laughs> Snap and, Risk and of Rocket Rain. League and Risk of uh, Rain. God, God. Do I even watch movies anymore? What did I watch this week? I did watch something. I watched, I watched a look, I found time actually between all my video game playing for an extended Ken Burns series again. You did? Yes, that's, that's right. Very exciting. We're back. We're back with more David's documentary discourse to talk about lengthy documentaries about American. America? Yeah, about America, as Ken Burns is wont to do. One day he's going to make a final film, but when he retires, it'll just be about Canada or something. Just, just yeah, fuck you to this. It, it'll be about the War of 1812, just to kind of like entice people in, but it's yeah. going to be entirely from the Canadian perspective. <laughs> it'd be good. So, really yes, throw us off. I did watch a new Ken Burns series, uh, as I have been doing a lot because I like his stuff. They're good. Yeah. I, I, my, my, my overlap in is in interest in films and documentaries comes down to film history and American history. Right. And that's, that's about the, the breadth of my interest here. As you've noticed, do I need to cancel this segment? <laughs> no, 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 because there's a, there's a wide range of topics for me still to cover within these two things. And Nazi history. Yes. But that, that falls under like, film history mostly still right. it's a lot of, a lot of that you know hitler's hollywood and and stuff and american history recently yeah yeah lots of american history talked about teddy roosevelt going down the now nah, you know i haven't found a good one of that yet but as soon as i do you know i'll cover it of course you, you know i got that okay i gotta know what this uh documentary was okay i'm surprised you didn't see it because I, I talked about it uh prior to this uh it was his series on the vietnam war oh shit really I yeah. want to see that one. Okay, so uh, I know last time I talked about Ken Burns, I mentioned that my favorite of his series was the Roosevelts, but uh, I have to make an amendment because this, Fuck yeah, yeah, this Vietnam series was just the most phenomenal documentary filmmaking I've ever seen. Oh man! Uh, and it was interesting because afterwards I, I kind of scrolled through like the the letterbox reviews, yeah. and I found the ones that were basically just calling it a giant piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> 
for for a lot of its America centric narrative yeah. and like the the apologist nature of it and whatnot. And uh, I don't really agree with that. <laughs> uh, uh, I think the the film obviously is sympathetic to uh the 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 scars of of vietnam left uh, on american history and uh i think it's ridiculous to uh critique the film for taking an american-centric view because it's an american-centric war yeah uh obviously there's another side to that but ken burns is not a vietnamese historian you know he's not making it's called the vietnam war because that's what we call it that's what it is for the the american you know perspective there it's called the vietnam war i guess if you want to be pedantic about it you could you know label it the vietnam war from the perspective of america but you know all you need to say is it's uh ken burns vietnam war you know what it is yeah it's 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 very clearly advertised what this (laughs) is like i don't you're not going in expecting to get the entire portrait of the war from the Vietnam, Vietnam, <laughs> you know, side of things, and right. that's not that the film doesn't possess that. Yeah, because there is a a lot, a lot of interviews and history and perspective from the side of of the Vietnamese people, both the North and the South. You, you know, particularly interviews with people who were there on both sides, and the the first episode starts off with a really great historical rundown of events leading up to it from 1945 and the French impact there and how the, the uh, capturing of France by, you know, the, the Nazis in 19, in the 1940s there during world war two uh, kind of led to the, the initial uprisings and resistance of Vietnam against the French government. Uh, and that's all really interesting shit that as an American, I didn't know. I don't know going in because our our education system does a terrible job teaching you about this war in particular. (laughs) It doesn't like to teach us about the wars we lost, technically. (laughs) There's no technically about it. We fucking lost. Like, let's not muddy the waters there. Our system doesn't want to tell us about that so much. Uh, A lot of time on World War II. And yeah, it's it's also just, it's a much muddier conflict. There's a reason why... America has not officially declared war since 1941. Mm-hmm. And it's all been, you know, escalated from, you know, uh, you know, assistances and, you know, interferences in other government businesses and in other countries, like in cases of Korea and Vietnam, where we took a proactive approach in trying to prevent the spread of communism for exceedingly selfish and imperialistic reasons. And the, you know, the documentary doesn't make any qualms about that. It's very obviously like the issue there. And there's no question that it's, a, you know, it was a huge mistake and presidents from Truman all the way up to Nixon and, you know, everyone in between there were agitating, you know, issues there when they shouldn't have been and were, you know, uh, making, you know, war crimes and such and like, you know, continuing to you know, fester in a, in a conflict that they should have never been there to begin with, you know. But it, it also, you know, it goes into depth explaining the, the reasonings why and the logic behind it, the flawed logic that got us in there, you know, with the scares, the red scares in such a time, but it gives you an idea of why someone would feel like that's the right decision to make and why our country would go there 
with while still being highly critical of those actions you know mm-hmm. in the same way that something like the iraq war was a gigantic you know monstrous mistake to get involved in but knowing you know, you know the events leading up to it you can understand how that happened the the sympathies and why so many people from both sides of the aisle decided that was the best course of action but yeah. it clearly was not a meaningful context i've I've donated to PVS now, so I think I, I think I get all these now. Uh, it's, I'm it's able to terrific. Get in there. It's it's available on a lot of it. I watch them through Canopy mostly. Uh, you know the the library service, which allows for you know free streaming of a lot of these great ones. And and this one I found especially effective because unlike something like say the the Civil War series where you know it's it's kind of a, a romanticized view while also oh, I love it of, though you know it is it it's great and it's not it's yeah. like it's romanticized in the sense of like you're kind of looking back and you know kind of digging into the history of this and it still feel like you know the 1860s feel so so far removed because it's at a point in history where you know documentation was still kind of you know very rudimentary and we have a very <laughs> detached sense of the the life and the history there despite all of the you know the the documentation we do have whereas the vietnam war is obviously like very real and very you know um easy to to grasp onto because of all the video footage and the surviving you know people who can give testimony to to the events there and i think that aspect in particular is is the linchpin because the there there are some sobering testimonies from vietnam vets in in that them giving their their very dark history there yeah particularly some some accounts uh particular you know events going through you know like being being hit in combat and like lying dying on hospital beds not thinking they're going to survive and such and just watching their like these drained faces as they recount these horrifying stories and and the history of everything (laughs) and and their changing mentality particularly how they the the it captures you know through particular interviews the um you know how how many of these soldiers you know felt disenfranchised coming back and there was a disconnect between the protests and the people who were against the war and their actions over there, but how generally they, they came around over time and ended up joining in protests themselves and seeing the gross errors of the war and the, you know, utter, you know, uh, devastation and alienation and uh, demonization of the Vietnamese people in particular. Uh, and, and so to see those, those interviews, I think is just genuinely heartbreaking. And I, I think it's the only case, the only case I can recall in any film where using the very resounding and impactful protest music of the era, unironically to emphasize those moments throughout. Uh, The particular example, I felt like one of the episodes closes off talking about the Kent State massacre. And so to see all those sobering pictures and testimonies and then to end the episodes with Crosby, Stills, and Nash's uh, Ohio, Ohio playing and hearing those words like resounding after you just got the events like it really gives an even more damning portrait and context to those songs which are already incredibly impactful but I'd say like after every episode I needed a good like five minutes just to kind of like come down from like the emotional earthquakes I was feeling Um, Would you say that now you feel Forrest Gump's uh, accurate representation of the world. 
uh, after having all seen all that footage, uh, I do need to amend my my opinion of Forrest. Gump. Are you bringing it up? Uh, yeah, it's actually a masterpiece. Um, <laughs> Does it have the usual <laughs> Ken Ken Burns letters to home? Dear Jenny, this is Forrest Gump <laughs> riding from Nam. <laughs> That'd be great in his documentary, don't you think? Yeah, they actually managed to slip in some footage of Forrest in there. Uh, you see him in you know a couple of the videos in the background, manning yeah. a machine gun or whatever. If I made a documentary, I'd probably put Forrest in there in all should. these historical events. That, yeah. that would be that would be a funny way if you were a historical documentarian, just slide him into the background of shots throughout. Put my phone number in the background too. So people <laughs> call me up. But no, I I, I highly recommend the Vietnam series. I'm probably going to go back and watch it again before too long to show uh, my fiance because I was just telling her about it every day when I was watching it on my own. And it's, uh, yeah, emotionally, you know, devastating in, in the kind of the best ways and very informative too, I think about something that our, our history muddies quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for bringing that. I, I feel really encouraged to check that one out. I always have been. I've wanted to see that the most, I think, of his war dogs I have left. So. That, definitely, definitely check that one out. I'll probably start up the his World War II one next. The Vietnam one just appealed to me more because I felt oh, like yeah. I knew less about it. So so much to learn there. So. And then he's got, I know I'm, I'm very excited for his Revolutionary War one that he has <laughs> on, on the docket here. That kind of thing seems like exactly his niche too. Revolutionary War, Civil War, those seem like his you know fiery passions. Uh, should, we take a, should we take a minute break here? Absolutely. Uh, we'll come back in just a little bit. I'll refill my coffee, empty my bladder maybe. Uh, take a out. quick break here? <laughs> yep. Okay. I'll be right stop. back to them. Okay. I'm actually not going anywhere. Oh, you're not? Okay. No, I was just giving lines, giving lines. You said that and you're not doing it? You mean, was that, that was just a line for the podcast? <laughs> Anyway, he's drinking at the bar, so I don't think a whole great deal of it. But then Mrs. Mora, she heard about the homicides down here and thought I should call it in, so I called it in. End of story. Well, what this guy look like, anyways? Oh, he's a little guy, kind of funny looking. Uh-huh. In what way? Oh, just in a general kind of way. Okay. Well, thanks a bunch, Mr. Mora. You're right. It's probably nothing. But thanks for calling her in. Sure. Looks like she's going to turn cold tomorrow. Oh, yeah. She's got a front coming in. Yeah, you got that right. I don't know. <laughs> how's, how's the weather over there? Sunny. Very yeah. nice. Very very much like our film of the week, Fargo. A movie about the sun. I think we need to start over. <laughs> yeah. I tried. Give me points for trying. All right. Um, I guess I could jump in here. Yeah, so you went back to the theaters this week, I hear. We're back to the theaters, baby. I, I went and got I went and saw Fargo, uh, a new movie. <laughs> where, where was uh Where was this playing? Uh, they don't usually play movies from 1996 uh, at normal theaters. <laughs> the movie theater that we went to to see a Halloween. Um, Wasn't that a multiplex? Was it a Regal? AMC. Or? Yeah. AMC. It's one of those chains. Interesting. Is is it? It's not like some anniversary showing. Is it, it was, like, yeah, yeah. I think it was what twenty five, thirty years. Thirty five years. Something. We sent out a tweet about it. Um, I don't know the exact year. We, I think you mean you. Hold on, let me let me do some calculations real quick. 
I feel like we need to start over again. 20, 25 years. Yes, 25. 25. That's okay. A, okay, so that's a nominal anniversary. They're doing a, a whole series of things because they don't have quite enough new movies. So like Mission Impossible is getting an anniversary. Uh, Fast and Furious. They're showing all those movies for free or for $5. I can't tell. Um, so there's there's a whole series of uh, older movies coming back. Uh, populist old movies. Uh, this looked like the best one to me. So. I, I mean, I believe it. Uh, Fargo is a great movie. And your second favorite Coen Brothers movie. Maybe not anymore. I don't know. I'm interested to see. I got to rewatch a lot of Coen ones because I definitely rewatching this. I don't want to come off negative immediately because I think it is a great movie and there's lots I like about it. But there's there's a less polished aspect to it that I felt this time. Uh, I felt the screenplay was a little messier um, than I had recalled. And so films like No Country for Old Men remain like pretty unassailable and Blood Simple might just be my favorite for so many stylistic reasons and the, the simplicity of it, I think just, just works. And so it's interesting to me that that one, I, I, I'm probably a bigger champion for that one than most people, but yeah, Far, Fargo is still, I think, an uh, unquestionably great movie and, and the things that have made it such a, a cultural and, uh, you know, and uh, survivor, a cultural landmark um, are still great. I think it still stand out. I suppose for me, it worked better than ever, I guess, seeing it on the big screen. And I was, I guess I was really sunk into the movie at that point because we walked in, uh, you know, got our our concessions and it was already dark in the theater. So we just scrambled up to our seats. It it was like no time passed at all for me. So I didn't feel any of that weight of any baggage or. I I imagine the theater experience, particularly being the first in more than a year. Yeah. Definitely amplify that. Have you, have you had concessions on your own? Like, have you made like popcorn at home this whole year? No, no. I, I feel like it's uh, it belongs in the theater. Uh, it does entirely does. I have not either because uh, that would that would just not feel right. I would get the same experience. Yeah, maybe it was just like being back there, and I couldn't have been there long enough, you know. So I'm I'm also sure that my opinion is more digressive than most people. Still, like you know, the yeah. critiques I'm going to have, a lot of people will be able to brush off more easily. It comes down to a lot more like plotting you know characterizations pacing things story structure you know uh superfluous scenes and such which i felt like there was you know kind of an excess of and the lack of um texture beyond narrative i think uh i think the film is a little lacking beyond its uh you know narrative thriller (laughs) ambitions which is fine i i think the again those are all fine elements to have but it, it just like it it scrapes the ceiling of greatness i think I dug up your thoughts from last time when you moved it from a 10 to a nine. And you said, uh, you said at that point, the next time you see it, you're probably moving it back to a 10. So I was very <laughs> offended, very offended to wake up this morning and see a seven there on my screen. Uh, it's, just, I, it's just a number. It's just I looked, a number, uh, you know? I wanted to see what I was getting into. So I searched your Fargo thoughts. I'm like, Oh, he's moving it back to a 10. On the, course, on the, just like me. I'm guessing it, you, you it would have been pulled from our Coen Brothers ranking podcast. Yeah, which, around as I said earlier in this show, <laughs> I don't think it's good for people to listen to. <laughs> and now you can see why. Yeah. Uh, Fargo was our second of uh, the Coens. We, we ranked No Country first. Uh, I think that, that makes sense based on the consensus opinion that we generally went off of, that we that we pulled. Uh, well, everyone likes Fargo. For. Yeah, yeah, and I, I also like, like it. So. Yeah, 
at and that think, time you thought it was a nine. So of course you helped with that. So sure. And yeah. and I might still like in a consensus setting like that, right. like, you know, go that way. But also like, I, I recall having a hard time fighting for blood simple being so high, <laughs> which I think is my favorite of their films. And obviously that's not, you know, the, the general opinion as well. And again, we did that so long ago. If we were to do it today, we wouldn't have gone so much off consensus, I believe. So. Yeah. No, we, we would probably boot everyone to the side and just right. and just ourselves. do us too, which we should <laughs> but, do again. Uh, we should do a filmography again. Um, yeah, I think maybe we'll find someone who's a little smaller to do. Yeah, uh, you you want to do Scorsese. Charles? <laughs> yeah, we could do that one. Uh, that one. Um, uh, Night of the Hunter, number one. There. Yeah, easy. we should we should get back to that. Yes, um, yes, we should. Uh, but in the meantime, we're talking about Fargo, which for me, like the specificity of american cinema it rarely captures unless it's la or new york i feel like it rarely captures the texture and uh, personality of a town in so many characters and for me fargo is like the like the ultimate example of an american director like capturing a sensibility and i think it moves like minnesota does uh, i think sometimes it is slow i think sometimes it is glacial but uh uh, I, th- I think it works in the in the scenery and it works with all the shots. I, I like all the characters, it's even a, the bad ones. It's a beautiful movie for sure. Roger Deakins, cinematographer. Uh, There's gorgeous, job. gorgeous snow shots and pullout shots. And uh, the mm-hmm. guy with the, the axe, <laughs> every time we cross him, it's a, a gorgeous frameable shot. Um, Deakins really showing off with the Coens, mm-hmm. as always. I, th- I think there's some places that could have been better shot but yeah. uh, uh i think that came more from like the the direction and choice of uh you know positioning of the sequence than from deacons himself and 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 that's what a lot of my critiques come back to is in terms of uh, like a, a, a less polished yeah a, yeah a less polished cohen brothers you know as directors here but um yeah it's it's certainly a, a beautiful setting and i think the setting is imperative to the film i think it's reflective of um, the the characters, the story, and everything in, in a way that is uh, inseparable. Uh, in the write up here, I kind of reached this conclusion like uh, just this morning when I was typing up uh, thoughts for the film and put out there, uh, and, and also last night. I think I put this in my letterbox review. Is that I, in very much in the Coens kind of style and their influence, it's kind of like an inverse noir. Yeah, if you think about it. Uh, instead of you know the kind of the grizzled city setting, the dark landscapes, you know the 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 clever you know uh, criminals and you know uh, witty uh, detectives that you have throughout classic film noirs, you kind of have the the opposite in that. In so many ways, the setting is is bright and uh, you know cold. Uh, and... It's still beautiful. There's still something really enticing about right. it. Right. Well, and this thing is that it's it's beautiful as opposed to like gr- you know grimy and, and dingy. It's um, you know, it's 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 uh, like I said, the, the the light bounces off of the snow, and it's a very bright film because of that, as opposed to laden in shadows like film noirs typically are. Uh, the characters are are friendly generally; like they, are, yeah. they have a, a, a humorous disposition. And instead of like even you know, the bad like, guys here, yeah. yeah. And and the film is funny. It's a comedy. It's it's a it's a dark comedy. Oh, it's hilarious! Uh, yeah, that yeah, in a way that that noir films aren't. And instead of being having you know populated by clever and you know uh, conniving characters, everyone except the police are incredibly inept. I should say I was so enraptured by the movie. I sat down with my friend. Of course, we stumbled in from the dark, and uh, 
it was just we sat in the back of the cinema i didn't look at anything but the screen we were both just laughing the whole movie and just like i was just like grinning i i i haven't felt that happy in a long time uh just being at the cinema of course connect me but the lights come up i realize there's nobody else in the theater <laughs> it was just us two for fargo i i don't know really? how that's possible yeah just us two in the back of the theater so we could have been I'm... talking the whole time and we kept perfectly silent which i think is a sign of how much we were involved in the film that we didn't even look around look for others we were just so focused on mm-hmm. this. and it's it's definitely i think an, an enrapturing film very charming uh with its characters with its environment uh and its comedy in particular i think uh next to the uh the the setting and the kind of you know the element of that the the comedy is the the strongest part in terms of particularly in the characterizations of uh william h macy's and uh francis mcdormand mm-hmm. which of course this is her her first win for uh best actress of three now yeah yeah she's in that league with the with some of the great actors actors Hep- also. hepburn hepburn, yeah, hepburn uh, i think it's tied with hepburn or one below i don't know i think tied with hepburn okay I'm too lazy to look around there but i think it's worth talking about again after she won for nomadland going back and tracing that first win and uh what kind of built her toward that and built the cohen's toward no country which i think we both believe is a better movie but uh fargo no, no, I, I, in your letterbox review you say this is their best movie well i think we both like <laughs> i think we both like no country a lot more i think this might be you know the i feel, I feel like you're walking it back now that you've got my more divergent opinion here <laughs> Well, I feel like this might be like the Coen's brother movie that like defines like their their. I, I think it's yeah, it's their what they're going to do. It's the earliest defining film of their career. I think where they where they really make a bold impression on the population. You know, film. They, they, this is their sixth film. They had stuff like Miller's Crossing and Raising Arizona and Barton Fink even before this. Yeah. Um, but no, none of them really are as characteristically Cohen as this was when it came out and kind of, you know, really took the mainstream. I guess uh, this is what I think of when you say Cohen brothers, I, I go back to Fargo and yeah. no country. I, I'm or, afraid, I'm afraid to go back and rewatch something like big Lebowski, which I have a lot of affection for. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I think you should be, I, I think have, it's worth I have this this picture from the Big Lebowski sitting next to me here. On the I think desk. it's okay to have fec- affections for it too, and realize that maybe it wasn't you know the movie. Maybe so, but I've got a lot of fondness that even like my memory here. I watched that so many fucking times, uh, you know, you know, as a, a younger man, uh, and and it's been on my watch list to get back to. But I'm not, like I'm always afraid. I'm like, but, w- w- have I been fooling myself? I don't yeah. know. I. I've, I think, I, I think maybe, but also it still stands really tall. Like in, it's it's got to have like a a, a permanent charm that kind of can't escape. Like we kind of talked about with Forrest Gump. Obviously, yeah. I think it's going to be better than Forrest Gump, but there's going to be something that's kind of like just it's embedded its way into popular culture and my viewing experience so much that I I won't be able to help but enjoy it, even if it's not as good. But I it's got to be good still, right? Maybe I'm afraid it's been overinflated though. I feel like. Big Lebowski got too much of that. It definitely and did. It, and, it's and great. I, I just think it got too much. Yeah, it, it, there's no questioning that it that it did. But uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll and well, see. you know, for me that well, my favorite is probably split between No Country and then um, Oh, oh Brother, Brother Where Art Thou. Oh. 
mm-hmm. but then this one i just feel like is so emblematic of what i want that yeah i, I, I think it's getting around it it's the most characteristically coen brothers film i think yeah. is a fair thing to say and if you're defining their films by that metric then i think it's fair to say that it's the best like it's the let's m- say it's the most it's the most characteristically coen brothers movie and the most positive in that definition yeah um so i feel good about that i i I think we might have like varying degrees of like about it but i i feel okay about that too um yeah well well there's something i'll 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 throw out a couple things that i don't like here i think the, the biggest one that i could throw out is that there's a few scenes that just shouldn't be there you can just clip right out namely the one where marge meets with the uh uh the former high school friend oh no really yeah cut that? It, it doesn't do anything how it's, can you cut that because it doesn't do anything it doesn't but it's add... so weird yeah that's why it shouldn't be in there it's just but like is it it establishes in this town like how everyone knows each other even when you go out in the outskirts and oh you, I, you already get that sense know, but... based on all the interactions it has no connection to the plot whatsoever it doesn't move it's anything so weird forward. though <laughs> i know it's so weird that's why i'm complaining about it <laughs> Oh, we were there, laughing so hard at that scene. I, I can't imagine cutting it. Well, that's the thing is that it might be a good scene, but I don't think it functions well within the frame of the movie. Yeah, I don't know what it means after the scene's passed. I, that, like, I don't that, know what you're that's what I'm saying. from it. But... There's little moments like that kind of throughout. And there's also like them, awkward there, There's awkward scene transitions. There's so many fade to blacks in the movie that just well, kind of like abruptly happen and, and they kind of like <laughs> kill a lot of momentum. And, and those were like weird feelings I was having the whole time, which detached me a bit from the film. And th- there's other bits like seeing like the, the two criminals, like having awkward sex with the, the two girls. That's it's good. It's like, Important. It's, it's, um, I mean, it can be like, you don't, you don't have to see it necessarily. I think like the inclusion <laughs> of it isn't necessary. Like, obviously you need the scene later where they talk uh to to marge about it and they yeah. give you the funny looking line and it's a funny callback later when you have the other guy who calls in and that's probably i think my my favorite scene by the way is that when the other cop comes up to the the guy who who called in about it kind of <laughs> had the and he, and he recounts his interaction with steve buscemi at the bar yeah. uh and it's it's very well done scene very well paced and the the performance is is really funny and it embodies i think that charm of the the minnesotan people it's all minnesotan dialect to where it's not understandable as saying anything at all it's very interesting yeah so so that i think uh was the 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 most funny scene to me the most effective one of of the film i think it's the funniest scene but i like a lot of the scenes i I think my favorite might be my favorites might be so simple. They might be like these pull out shots of the snow and the cars in the snow. They might it might be a collection of images for me. But, like it, I feel like Fargo is so quintessential at building a universe of Minnesotan like culture and North Dakotan uh, culture that that could be built on even to like this expanded TV show, which has nothing to do with it, but is like very popular now and has run three seasons. So. Can can you tell me? Anything about the show? I haven't actually sat down and watched it yet. Is there is there any kind of like consistency between the film? Is it really just like a jumping off point? No, I'd, I'd say it carries the same personality and tone, the tonal uh, idea about the town and uh, investigators looking into something. But uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily concerned it's, about the same plot. So. It seems like it's very like much more serious minded. Like I don't it imagine is. it has the same humor that Fargo yeah, it does. has. It does. It does. Yeah, yeah, it has a Cohen humor too. Kind of, uh, it's a very funny show. Um, but but different 
I'd say different kind of humor than it seems. If the Coens aren't writing it, you can get yeah. that replicated properly. But it's it's building off the humor here for sure. Also, just so interesting to like just decide to take that property out of nowhere, just make a TV series of it. Can you imagine if they did something similar? I don't know. I guess like I guess Mash exists, so that's also so it's not like an anomaly. But what's funny, like I was digging around for like articles and just background on this too. A lot of it's just for the show now. A lot of yep. articles published about Fargo are about about the show. Oh, because uh, so much TV show Fargo content exists versus the yeah. 90 minutes of the Coen Brothers film. I think I I think I'll like it once I get further into the show. Um I watched the first season as it premiered and then stopped. Um but I think the second one like True Detective may be an all new story. So I need to go back and uh, see what's going on there. Mm-hmm. I, gonna... I, I always like people that talk this way too. I have a thing for Minnesotan <laughs> accents and and I have a weird northwestern accent with weird tinge canadian in there anyway so uh, it's definitely not as extreme as the the minnesotan accent and this is no. the part where we're going to laugh laugh at the people of the the mid-northern area of America. <laughs> <laughs> yes uh obviously there obviously they're made the butt of some kind of joke <laughs> throughout the film but they're also it's, endearing I, yeah i don't think they could argue with the portrayal right like, I mean, it's it's kind of made them in a lot of ways. It's put yeah. them on the map, so to speak. And... <laughs> Not like Prince or any you know other Minnesotan institutions. Hockey in America, none of that matters as much as Fargo. I like that the kid plays hockey. It feels like grounded in Minnesota. Like people are doing things they would do. That, that's another thing I'll say is that the kid is also a weak element of the film. He really couple... fades away, doesn't he? There's a couple of characters, including like the wife, where they're just like thinly sketched. They're like they're sketched enough to give you like a semblance of relation, but as characters themselves and importance to the story, they're more you know like they build motivations, right? Like in a very conventional, uh, you know, kind of like necessary to the script kind of way. They as characters almost don't exist. Well, like. Well, like the dad comes in and says, you know, I'll take care of them no matter what, you know, because the guy's like trying to pry for a better position and wants the right account, but he needs to try to make this money some way. So he plots this thing to get his wife taken. And um, it feels like he's doing that because he feels like he can't be like the father of the house. He can't find his own masculinity, like buried in this like Minnesota snow. And Jerry's definitely the most well-defined character of the film and i think william h macy's uh embodiment of that really carries so much of it and uh he's he's very humorous uh and also just so clueless and so obviously like like aloof and yeah yeah, ill ill informed ill-sighted on this (laughs) venture it's just the, the the dumbest plan you could possibly take but it's not so like 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 he's able to imbue the character with enough sympathy that you can like appreciate his desperation without approving of it at yeah, yeah. any point. No, because <laughs> like, the film it starts out with that. Like the the very opening of the film is just like I am planning on you kidnapping my wife, and yeah, and... <laughs> we actually missed the very beginning. So. You have to oh, you did? Now. Yeah. Oh, okay. We walked well, in it, a few minutes late. So. It starts off with him walking into a bar and meeting up That's with right. uh, Steve Buscemi and uh, Peter Stormare. 
and giving him like the keys to the car and kind of going over the basics of the plan. <laughs> Which is insane because he had no plan for insurance backup with the company. Yeah, he no, he had no like just... technical plan for how the car would go missing, other than he called this guy from the shop and that was gonna work out. But then the cops got to him first, and you know, like just all this the whole the whole plan with giving away the car as part of the deal is just again very dangerous. So, uh, another aspect of his short-sighted planning there just like literally because like the whole time the the company is calling him about this this car and doing an inventory <laughs> and stuff and it's like he only thought as far as that i'll send him this paperwork and it'll you kind of smudge and they won't be able to read the serial numbers and they'll just kind of throw their hands up and give up and they're yeah. not going to pursue it any further it's almost like a wanting to be caught or like the sexiness of doing a crime is being right on the edge of uh perception or something don't think that's his character i think he's really just I, I that short-sighted so. uh no I, I don't think he gets anything out of the thrill of this i think he's just you don't desperate i think he's exceedingly desperate to make make his fortune like prove himself as as worthwhile man because he's obviously very emasculated in his relationship by his yeah. father-in-law uh, i mean he can't he even bring the bag of money himself he's emasculated out of doing that job yeah. but he's so his plan can't possibly it. work uh, yeah so he's just really desperate and he takes like this this the, the dumbest ploy possible, which again is just indicative of why he is such a a, a failed you know uh, you know masculine figure to, right. to begin with there, uh, even that his attempt is so short sighted on on well, every on every angle. It shows the problems of his business acumen too. That this is his plan for a capture. Uh, it shows why he might not you know ever get to be on where he is in the car shop. Uh, the same, uh, same the thing shop. with with where he brings his plan of like a car lot to yeah. uh to the to his uh father-in-law and, and then he's like totally rejected and only gonna settle with a finder's fee because <laughs> he, he just has no idea how this works like he doesn't understand that like people aren't just gonna give you money and expect you know like only that in return i think all the failures that caused him to do the thing are uh you know well represented and what happens after Mm -hmm. I, I think he's a very well sketched character again despite kind of the the lesser you know uh well-defined characters that the film has which is an issue i think it does have two of the best of the coen brothers characters which is jerry and of course marge margie which is you know my favorite coen brothers character probably I, margie is just irresistible as you say though it takes a long time to get to her which it, I can it see does the, yeah I the, the wrong, first but i like it too i like the late introduction I, I guess that wouldn't you wouldn't detect that as a problem on a first viewing. Like when you go back in, uh, I, on the twentieth viewing, <laughs> I just don't think it's that big of an issue. I just you know I I think it only just acknowledged to me some of the structural issues in the beginning, and that I was waiting for her to come around. Like the once she shows up, the camera is so in love with her, and they're so endeared by everything she's saying. They just let her go. It's really beautiful well, acting, and it's a really well I think defined relationship with her husband, played by john carroll lynch like and and just the the very little bits of interactions we get there that's a i think a very well-defined relationship that is wanting in others demonstrated throughout the film and i'm not that and, used to seeing you know before this pregnant women in this kind of role an authoritarian role that is also pregnant so. yeah um, i'm You're used i'm not to that sure <laughs> i'm not sure how much that adds to her characterization it definitely adds, oh really I, it definitely I, I adds the, something the food uh, thing is so funny though like that's why she sure. went and saw the guy and you know the food fixation she's getting arby's and like it's the biggest dish in the world and I, right. I think it's so charming when they have the eggs in the morning. Oh, I, I agree that it's the egg scene is, is very nice. And that's part of that. Uh, what I mean by I'm not sure how much it adds is I'm, I'm 
like literally that i'm not sure how much it adds i'm i'm not confident in stating like because it definitely adds something but i'm not sure it adds like a a great amount of depth to to her i think it's it's kind of a, a novel aspect of her character that defines her in some way but not not really like specific enough to give me a, a more secure idea or reasoning as to why it's of uh, any particular significance and she's not even the main character of the movie really i mean she's just the investigator right she, but she kind of is the film she has comes like on dual, screen, dual yeah. main characters uh in jerry and her i think and... it's interesting how it shifts though and it, yeah. it tells that story like novelistically like in a way that would uh would start with someone else and then you could lead interestingly to another character and then you know of course she's not involved early but uh it gives narrative reasons why she would become involved then Sure. I, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think just, like I said, it's, it's more of like structural issues, like in balancing of that. It could be better, I think, than it is. And that's not to say that it's bad. It's, it's, it's a good movie. It's quite a good movie. And like I said, bordering on great, but uh, I, I was definitely wanting a, from a little bit more of it uh, in terms of the overall delivery on rewatch here but like i said the elements that have endured and have remained you know social par- uh social paragons are uh undeniable i feel like uh, the yeah the restaurant scene is the... which uh which which restaurant scene again <laughs> you know i don't know one. why i'm just thinking of the lebowski one for some <laughs> i i do disagree with you i think that's the only scene that defines her outside of uh, her marriage or job so i think uh, that's yeah. i think it's important <laughs> if that's all you want women to be defined by it's it's not I, I i think you're doing a disservice by saying that's the only thing that defines her outside her her relationship well it's the job. one scene that i think really gives her a context to who she used to be and how she got to where she is and how oh, she I, is I, I don't think it provides that much context <laughs> I, I couldn't cut it possibly i could give me a pair of scissors i'll do it right now i couldn't cut anything from the movie really just because of how well it worked for me in the cinema and how invested I was in every outcome and every part leading to something else I was interested in. And I think that's a terrific testimony to the, not only the endurance of the film, but particularly the importance of the experience of uh, seeing films in in theaters as they were meant to be shown. And I hadn't seen this in theaters since release. I mean, just powerful. Did you, did you see this on release in 1996? Yeah. I didn't. I was two. (laughs) (laughs) I must've been. Well, I must have been like eight or nine by then. I'm pr- I probably did. My dad brought me to a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of questionable suspect stuff. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I'd show this one to a kid necessarily. That wood chipper scene would scar <laughs> some some children for sure. I definitely watched it a lot on cable. Um, this was a big cable movie for me. I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it. It's it's a it's a great one. I, I, well, yeah. I keep saying like bordering on great kind of great. I don't know. I'm, I'm stuck somewhere in the middle there. It's, it's a hard area to define because I've got qualms, but I can't deny what works. It's, it's a good, great ish movie. Even, uh, even with the 10 out of 10 thing, I could kind of see where those cracks could be. Right. Like, I, I mean, I could admit that you could see them. Uh, I, I don't think there's a problem with coming in a little lower on it. It's also just indicative of my evolution of appreciation of movies like- over time. Devolution, Devo, <laughs> Devolution, Devo. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe you're going down on it, though. Uh, I, I can't believe this is such a controversial issue here. I feel like I've been way more negative on other movies. The than, wonderful than... return to the movies for me, and you just. I'm, I'm positive. I'm, I'm, I know. I'm in, 
I'm I'm very positive on this, I should say, but we're we're fixating so much on my my mild critiques of this. This is this is why you can't come in with you know you can't talk about these institutional <laughs> classics because you're just gonna get dogpiled on. I'm waiting for all the hate mail to pile up with this too. How how dare he rate Fargo a seven out of ten? How dare he be mildly positive on this classic? And it's just more interesting for the podcast for me to be annoyed than accepting of your takes. <laughs> so, I do agree that uh, you could have those outcomes and there is stuff to trim, but they're all things that I like about it myself. No, 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 no. I'm prepared. Let me martyr for this. <laughs> I I will stand trial for everyone out here with a slightly divergent take on established classics here you may you may put me up on the uh, on the spike if you see something enough times do you think it's hard to escape from anything like a as we would call it an iron lady territory where uh, you you appreciate something uh, as it was as a teen and then you come back to it because i've seen this 20 or 30 times do you think it's even possible for me to escape from a 10 I, I doubt I, I think, it. I, I don't know. I mean, I might have said the same thing about Forrest Gump, you know, 10 years ago, uh, because and I, and I think part of it is that part of the cultural consensus, you know, puts expectations on these kind of defined, you know, uh, classics of the canon. Well, I think and, my and, expectation is I've always loved it, too. Like, why sure, would I come sure. into it with a negative idea of I don't have that expectation that I'm going to dislike it. So I played into <laughs> And, and I, liked, right? I mean, and I didn't come in with the expectation that I didn't like it. Unlike, say, like Forrest Gump, which I did think I was <laughs> not going to like yeah, as much. And it that's turned clear. out I was right. But I was also surprised with how much I did still like Forrest Gump. Uh, so it's not exactly a one-to-one example here. But yeah, I was I was just, I was, I was a bit surprised by how much I found worked less, like how, how less polished it felt to me than I had recalled. But uh, again, I think that's just a, a growth. Sometimes, you know, absence doesn't make the heart grow fonder. Sometimes it's, you know, it isolates and it, you know, allows us to, to forget a little bit. And it had been a while since I had uh, seen it. And, you know, maybe just some of my affection for other Coen Brothers films or a desire to kind of state a, an opinion more against the grain, you know, potentially had uh, an, an overall impact on the viewing experience, but also potentially the circumstances. Like I said, viewing yeah. it in a theater may have been entirely different um but i guess that is also to say that uh i think it's evident that fargo has not had the the staying power of uh you know for me that it has for so many others you know other coen brothers films have definitely left a more lasting impact on me than than fargo and yet this is the only one that's been adapted to anything and has stayed around really i mean like this is the only one that's you know moved on in a different way and has its own life on TV, right? Uh, I, I mean, I, I would argue that The Big Lebowski probably has more no. of an extra outside they made the, life than They made anything. the worst sequel to it last year. I'm it's not, ruined I'm now. Ta- the I'm Big not Lebowski talking, is I'm ruined. not talking exclusively. Jesus rolls about... again. You... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking just about the film-wise or anything like that. Like, there's, there's, literal, there's a literal church built around the culture of the dude. You can't tell me that Fargo has a life greater outside of it than the big lebowski does i mean you make a one out of ten sequel last year i don't know how to feel that big lebowski <laughs> nostalgia anymore sure well maybe that's something we have to explore we later probably on should. down the road maybe in a couple months we get back to big lebowski and maybe yeah. i'll love it though i maybe i'll be how i've always been maybe you'll be converted to to the church i'm sure i, I idolized the dude and dressed like the dude for a few years so uh, i i feel like i lived that life too so 
We'll have to decide where we end up on the, the sliding scale of the dude versus Walter. I think I also always liked these snow westerns, and I always wanted a noir that felt like a snow western. So for me, Fargo is that, and that's what I want. I don't know about a snow western. Oh, what's come on. West, like, what's western about it? Just like the way you move like through the environments, these large plains of America and this like large fertile land in the heartland. and uh, It's just, you know, like these large areas and i i i think it takes a little bit more than large landscapes to define something as well a western. obviously i'm saying it's a noir not a western but <laughs> well you said it was I, a western and you said it was no because I, I look I, for I, snow westerns and i like these large territories in the snow you, you could just say is, you like snow movies like it doesn't have to be a western well that's not the it's, point though like i'm looking for a genre movie in the snow you know my favorite right. snow western is the thing actually now that but i'm looking it. for a genre movie kurt, kurt russell he's got that cowboy hat on throughout the film it's kind of like a like a 10 gallon hat it's a snow western it's absolutely not <laughs> <laughs> okay i don't feel like you're listening to this <laughs> <laughs> we, got, we got a little caddy on the end of this episode here perhaps more than we usually did <laughs> but what i'm looking for are genre movies in the snow in the way that i like yeah. a snow western i want a noir to kind of take place in these large spaces and have this huge American feeling to it that's very distinctive and specific to an area and a place. So. I, I'll, I'll definitely agree with you that it is very, has lots of noir elements to it. And I think it's inverse aspects of that are an, an interesting reading that I hadn't considered before this viewing and that kind of enticed my my mind a little bit more, particularly with the Coen brothers history of noir influences uh, as I kind of explored in I, ooh, an early piece I wrote on Blood Simple. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's a definitely the strongest argument you can make for any any kind of uh, other genre that the film would fall into, other than you know just kind of like a contemporary comedy crime thriller. Uh, and, and I think that's definitely there in, a, in an important uh, defining aspect to the film that works. It definitely works. Yeah, works very well to be their best movie uh, as we rated it on our previous <laughs> podcast about it. Well, second best. We said second best. Yeah. I, I don't know. I might second stand by Second best, that best movie. <laughs> well, uh, thanks, Calvin, for coming on here and uh, bickering with me about Fargo. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed it more when we did their other Western. Um, <laughs> no country for old men. Uh, but uh, I'm glad we got to it anyway. I'm glad to be back in the theater. So. I'm, I'm glad, too. I'm sorry I didn't, uh, re- you know, reach an acceptable opinion for you here. I'm hoping next week. <laughs> You're not going to take it out on me by giving me a kind of, you know, lukewarm take on uh, the Grapes of Wrath, the Grapes of Wrath, which is our next. Well, I hope not, but you never know. Uh, You never know where I'll go with it. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in this week. Make sure, as always, to check out our website, thetwingeeks.com, for our latest reviews, retrospectors, and features. You can follow us on Twitter as well, at The Twin Geeks, and individually at Calvin Kempf and at David A. Punch. Don't forget to check out our sister video game show, The Daydream Cast, with Pavlos and Brogan, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are played. Leave a review and rating if you can, and we'll see you next week for another conversation on classic and contemporary cinema. Well, I was dancing in a lesbian bar Way downtown I was there to check the scene And hang around Well, the first bar Things were stop and stare But in this bar In this bar things were laissez-faire And I was dancing in the lesbian bar Oh, oh I was dancing in the lesbian bar Ooh.